Oh, but I think that's supposed to be a good specialty, so I should be happy, right? I should count my blessings. Anyway, the point of all this is you're listening to WCVN, okay? Look out, friends. Here's Leon. Take it away, boys. Take it away. Oh, everybody dance now. afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And today, I couldn't be happier to have Jim Mannheim, also known around these parts as Tex, here in the studio with me. Tex, (laughs) it seems strange in some ways to say, but welcome to Living Writer. (laughs) Well, because you know it so well um, in all its Living writer The other side of the mic, yes. Well, welcome back to you. You were missed over the last month and a half. Oh, thanks, Tex. That's what you get for falling off your bike, right? Um, and thanks to Jason for engineering for us today. Um, so, so Tex has agreed. I have been, Tex, I feel like I've been um, harassing you or, or at least pestering you, um, for years to be on living writers pretty much since the early days when, when you were engineering for the, the show. Um, and now I don't know how many years later it is cause it's keeping time. Isn't my strong like suit but you're there's you're a good here. idiom your strong suit <laughs> strong suit i was gonna ask how you come up with all of those <laughs> um but but anyway i'm just so pleased i'm so happy to be talking with you today because you're someone who i know who's a working writer you're a living writer you qualify and you also you're a freelancer you're making you you're a working writer yes you're that you make your living writing. I have made a living writing for many years. The last time I was employed by another company was 2004 or 2005. And was that that the Ann Arbor Observer? Uh, Well, I I was part-time later at the Observer. Uh, That was the the Uh allmusic.com. And I'm still working for them as a freelancer. What was important to you about... So you were always... Is it safe to say you were always writing? Yeah, I did other things at All Music, but uh, basically 90% of what I do has always been writing. Because I want to, let's go, maybe we can go at this from two different (laughs) directions. You arrived in Ann Arbor in 1988? That is correct. For school? Yes. So what what kind what, yeah, tell us about this like how you got to Ann Arbor. Uh well, I I came up here to uh to get into a master's program at in musicology at the U of M. Um and uh yeah, th- I started out thinking that I wanted to uh be in academe, but then I actually started making a living as a writer and uh <laughs> found that I really enjoyed that a lot more. And musicology. So was this was it your 
Did you have a love for country music that was, because in your undergrad years, you found Loretta, Loretta Lynn yeah. at your, your library. I didn't grow up with country music at all. Um, I, as an undergrad, I happened to check out uh, a Loretta Lynn album, of which I think we're going to be hearing uh, one track from, and I was, I was bowled over by it. Uh, then later on, I lived in Chicago for five years after I graduated, and I lived in, in the Uptown neighborhood, which at that time, I don't know what it's like these days. I should go check it out. But at that time, it was kind of like the Hazel Tucky of, of, uh, of Chicago. I mean, actually, there were people from all over the world there, but there were a lot of Southerners, and there were some, some great old country bars, um, including one called Carol's Speakeasy, where when there were fights would break out, these, this cadre of guys would sort of surround them and push them out the door like immune cells. <laughs> um, so I got into it more than I was working in record stores and I was the only one who knew anything about country. So I, I ended up learning a lot more about it. So in when in undergrad, you were in Massachusetts? Yes. For that? And how did you like, what got you to check out that first Loretta Lynn album? Was it a, a class or was it your own pursuit? Like, Boy, that was pretty much random. I just it found it on the shelf in the Northampton Public Library, and I said, wow, that's a that's a wild cover that is def definitely different. Can from you the... describe it? Because I don't know the cover. Uh, well, it, you can. It's 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 kind Jason of. Jason has the cover. Jason has behind, the cover. There you go. It has Loretta Lynn standing in front of this lilac bush. Uh, in this long white dress, and, you know, it's definitely a, a relic of the 1970s. Yeah, it's almost like the lighting on her is like it's a Lawrence Welk-esque yeah. image, but probably something earlier than that, too. Uh, yeah, I, I, that, that, I, I think that's a fair point. Because definitely Grand Old Opry-esque. Yes. And, um, see, text now that's I know. That's a good point. You're going to know all of this. Like, who who was the man that gave Dolly Parton her break, who had those shows there you know on the and he had a television show do you know well i, I mean there was porter wagner and before him. that there was a guy named bill owens yeah. oh okay because i think it was porter wagner who i was thinking of who was brought her on his tv and has show. a very distinctive appearance himself yes <laughs> speaking of appearances so i guess sometimes the um the cover does matter to get you to take a chance on an album or a book. Uh, or the something. graphics of this stuff have have always fascinated me. How so? I mean, it's just I don't know who I I don't even know if anybody's ever written about this, but the the designers, I mean, there were it went through several phases, um, but uh, it, it they did really capture the style of these people, which is has been over the top at various points in history but uh um i don't know the the very first country lps which didn't come along until the late 50s have these big concepts you know they're in, with these rich colors and then i think they stopped spending so much money on them but there were still interesting ones after that uh, there's one a kitty wells album called after dark where sh she's walking down this city street and you see her from the back that, and after dark. Yeah, exactly, in, in, sort, in sort of twilight. So do you think it was serendipitous that when, after after you graduated, um, oh, you also, is it Tom T. Hall? Is it like after your, your college graduation? Yes. Um, you went to an amusement park? 
and I went, I saw <laughs> Tom T. Hall. Yeah, I was just getting interested in it at that point, and I, I heard him on the radio, from country radio from Springfield, Massachusetts. And I said, well, what the heck, I'm going to go to go to this at the, the amusement park in Agawam. And I was just, I was pretty much blown away by, by that. And when you, when you say that, like, can you describe the experience? Is it something like where you're definitely standing outside, you're walking up to a raised stage? Was it something like that? I or guess was I was, it, there, there, there was a little, there was a little amphitheater there. I, I mean, I, I believe it was seated. Oh, okay. uh, but it was the songs more than the the. Yeah, why? What about? Because you're hearing not only the, the instruments, but the voice, like as the main instrument in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, and the songwriting. The yeah. year that Clayton Delaney died, I remember the year that Clayton Delaney died. Nobody ever knew it, but I went out in the woods and I cried. It's about this guy who idolizes this banjo player, uh, who is a raging alcoholic and and his reaction after his death i i always wondered why clayton never took who seemed so good to me never took his guitar and made it big in 10 oc i thought wow that's you know that's it's beautiful that's quite an encounter yeah and uh, and people don't appreciate this stuff for its seriousness because what year was this 1980 1980 spring of 1980 that's when i graduated from college so I'm an oldster. Uh-huh. Nah. <laughs> Time is meaningless. <laughs> but if we're thinking about country music, I guess in this era of time, was it were people not getting their due like this the songwriting would you say like I don't know cuz I feel like Bob Wills has always loomed large like certain people have but maybe that's just in my it's obviously just in my limited scope of how things well they've certainly been popular I mean yeah, yeah. Bob Wills is still the king yeah. as, as Waylon Jennings put it um, <laughs> but as far as you know it's, I mean in the 70s people were starting to write about it uh, I don't think Rolling Stone for instance did a very good job of it but they tried um, and I mean, they gravitated more toward things like Linda Ronstadt that had had a rock aspect to it. But, you know, they did. It wasn't like it was completely ignored. Um, But uh, I I don't think people really appreciated what a creative figure Dolly Parton was until many years later, or Loretta Lynn. I mean, but yeah, she, she was an enormous force in the culture. It's not like they were ignored. And would do you think for you, Tex, and the, with the music, it was the storytelling aspect of it, as well as like maybe the craft of how they told the story? I think the that's sound of I it. think that's a fair statement. You know, Charlie Parker liked country music, and somebody asked him how he could stand it, and he said, "Man, listen to the stories." Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I've just listened recently to um, a podcast about. Dolly Parton that Radio Lab put out, uh-huh. and so I have a newfound, um, uh, like, or a, a newly ignited um, appreciation and respect for her. Definitely. Oh, gee, I'd like to hear that. I think you'll love it if you ever, yeah, if you're looking for a podcast. It was Radio Lab. Interesting. Yeah. Good yeah. for them. A, 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 and they did a separate uh, serial. It was one of their spur series um, off to the side. Oh yeah. Um, but. 
So it, did it feel, um, let's go to Chicago again. Now we're, you've, you've graduated, <laughs> you're moving. My life you're story, moving. <laughs> which is not that interesting. No, well, it, don't say that text for one thing. And one thing, it's like the life of a writer, you know, because now you're on the move, you go to Chicago, you're working at a record store. And is it serendipitous then that it, you're the one in the shop that has any inkling of country music is that like how it kind of began growing even more or do you think it was already lit for you this this um this passion uh, I, I i don't think that at that time i st- i mean I, I was getting more into it but you know everybody back then this was early 80s it was all alternative rock or new wave as it was called back then so that was less you know that was less significant Actually, I mean, I didn't even really think about becoming a writer. I'm not big on regrets, but if there's one thing I regret, before I worked at the record store, I worked at the Walgreen Drug Store at State and Elm, and people from all over the city worked there. And uh, man, if I had thought of being a writer, I could have written novels about that place because everybody had, I mean, I don't even know where I would start. (laughs) I could tell you about how I violated <laughs> federal law, but I'm pretty sure the well, the statute of limitations the sta- would be statute over, of right? limitations is no. over. Yeah, there was this <laughs> uh, this Ethiopian gal who uh, I got to be friends with because really I was the only one with the patience to try to understand her, and uh, so she she said, "Well, my cousin is coming over here." Well, she said. My cousin is coming over here, and we have a sponsor, but we can't reach him on the phone. So could you impersonate him? <laughs> so I said, I'm, a, I'm the world's worst liar. There's no way I can do this. But after persuading me for a week, I gave in. And Was we, it over the phone or in person? It was over the phone to Addis Ababa, to the American embassy in Addis Ababa. And uh, and I pulled it off, and I got to uh, to go to the airport with her and pick up the cousin with who got off the plane with these three big boxes of Ethiopian spices, and they took me back to her apartment and they cooked me the greatest meal I've ever eaten in my life. I was like sitting there eating for four hours, oh. um, and uh, I, I mean it was an amazing thing. It's still there, I believe. The restaurant that they opened. Oh, they opened a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, the, I thought you meant the Walgreens first. Uh, the Walgreens <laughs> is still there too. <laughs> I mean, there were funny things and there were tragic things, and there were there were. It was it was one block from the Gold Coast, which is the wealthiest neighborhood in Chicago, and four blocks from the former Cabrini Green housing project, which was the poorest and most violent. And pe- representatives of both worked there. So I wish I had written some of that stuff down. <laughs> what do you think about it being material that you already have and that you could possibly use? Because sometimes with with distance, you uh, you might write about it now. That's an interesting idea. I mean, now that I'm, I have to now that I'm approaching retirement age, I have to, I have to shift my perspective from what will make a living to what might be better to set down for other reasons. Well, well, Tex, let's talk about more of the things that as as a freelancer and as a, a writer you've done before we talk about your retirement. <laughs> but we shall. That can be like, let's talk about that later. Um, so one of the long thing, long running things that you've 
been part of is the Encyclopedia of World Biography. And, and now you're the editor. Yes. Um, but you still write entries. I do. I started, that was really, you know, the country music really happened in stages. I, I, I got into it more when I was in graduate school and actually in California and I was not having a good time and I would drive out to the, the big country dance halls in the Central Valley just to get away from it. So wait, after Chicago, see this, I yeah, missed was, this whole piece. So let's continue with the life story that a little was, bit that too. Was after so you Chicago. drove further west. You went to I California. I went to, yeah, to, to UC Berkeley. For grad school. Yeah, that was before I came here. In musicology as well? Yeah. Okay. With an area of interest in country music? Or? Uh, well, no. At that time, I was sort of studying Renaissance music. Oh, interesting. And so, Not too far from the polka. No. <laughs> yeah, a long way from the polka. Um, but. And you would go to those dance halls. Yeah. When you were, yeah, pick up their text. Uh, well, that's. I, I mean, that that grew. In so that was that the the whole country music thing kind of grew in stages. Um, and then it grew a lot once I started doing it on WCBN. Um, but as far as the writing goes, while I was in school here, I answered two things happened. One was at the Observer. I wrote this little sketch. I got a summer job with doing their city guide. They hire resource researchers to do their city guide every each summer. And I wrote this little thing for it about the Cloverleaf Diner. And which is was there until recently, but is now no longer there. And this, I, I talked to this big Greek who was the owner, and he and he told me his life story. I mean, he came over. A lot of Greeks came here after World War II, and he he got a job at the White Hut in downtown Toledo, and he saw this gangland style killing down there on Monroe Street. He said, "Man, I've got to get out of here and find a more peaceful That's place." Too dangerous. <laughs> so that is how he ended up in Ann Arbor. And I said, "Wow, this you know this world is full of stories." And I said, "Are you kidding? You know, I can do this and get paid." <laughs> but that was the big moment. Then the other thing was I, I answered an ad because, to. Well, Tex, could I ask a follow up question on sure. that one? So for the Cloverleaf, when you did the piece for the Observer for City Guide, were you able to actually work in some of his life story as well as tell about the Cloverleaf itself, like what someone might find there? Oh yeah, I told him about that. I mean, th th those th the Observer those little sketches are. They're, they're, they accommodate that kind of material. It's so, yeah, I did. I put most of it in. It's kind of encouraged, right? These vignettes of yes. the, the people and places. Very much. I mean, if somebody writes a story about parks, they, you know, they tell part of the story of it. Yeah. Okay, so the second thing then, well, we were like, I, I can get paid for this. <laughs> yeah, I answered an ad from Gail, the encyclopedia publisher, which at that time was in downtown Detroit. And I wrote they, I wrote two biographical sketches. One was of John Hyatt, and one was of Nile Rogers of Chic. And I had a really good time with those, and I turned them in on time. So after that, I got more and more work from them, and I'm still getting it, you know, what, 20, 25 years later. Wow. And But you kept it as, like, a, like a, a freelance, like, a, like you, you kept it as a freelance gig um yes yeah. It, it yeah it was yeah it was a freelance gig while I was in school and then um because I feel like is that important to you to kind of keep some sort of 
um, freedom because here at WCBN, of course, we're all about free form. <laughs> um, but was it something where you felt like this is a way I can put things together that I love doing without having to have like something that was um, like the thing that took all the time or. That's a good question. I mean, to, to answer it generally, I would say most freelance writers would probably say, yes, I do this for the freedom. I, I'm never going to make as much money as other people do. But um, but at, I, I, my office is wherever I feel like it being on any given day. Yeah. Um, at that time, I mean, yeah, I, I, definitely at that time I was balancing a lot of things. And I thought, you know, if I write something and somebody pays me for it, that's a good day. And if I write something about music and somebody pays me for it, that's a really good day. So at that point, I I mean, I had other freelance jobs. I was an editor at the art museum for a while. And then this uh, allmusic.com came along. They They moved down from Big Rapids. They had this weird database guy named Michael Erlewine up there, and they, they moved down here. They realized that these databases were marketable. So I, I took a job there and worked there for five years, and I thought one of two things will happen. Either Bill Gates will buy this and we'll all be millionaires. This was in the, the first Internet boom, um, or it will fail magnificently. And what I did not foresee was that I would still be doing work for them <laughs> you know, 25 <laughs> years later. Um, yeah, you keep these relationships going, like... Yeah, I, I which think, speaks so. Yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of writers do that. Let's take a short break and then we'll come back today on Living Writers. Jim Mannheim, otherwise known as Tech, <laughs> is here in the studio. We've got Jason behind the glass. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be back. I remember the year. said for the last two weeks that he suffered and cried it made a big impression on me although I was a barefoot kid they said he got religion at the end and I'm glad that he did Clayton was the best guitar picker in our town I thought he was a hero and I used to follow Clayton around I often wondered why Clayton, who seemed so good to me Never took his guitar and made it down in Tennessee Well daddy said he drank a lot, but I could never understand up in Ohio with a five-piece band. Clayton used to tell me, son, you better put that old guitar away. Ain't no money in it, it'll lead you to an early grave. I guess if I'd admit it, Clayton taught me how to drink booze. I can 
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm so glad you did, um, because today Jim Mannheim is here in the studio, um, Tex, as we all call him. I think, um, uh, Tex, when I saw you once in the Carytown Market by the fish market, and my mom was visiting, right? I think I yelled across, there's Tex. <laughs> and then we walked away, and mom was like, now, that gentleman's ni- name is Tex, is it? And I was like, that's right. I don't think, I didn't know your real name at that point, even. Well, you I were mean, like, Tex is larger than life. That worked the other way, too, is that I have, down through the years, been visited by people who never knew me as Tex. And they say, who are these people and why are they calling you Tex? <laughs> right, exactly. Because you're not from Texas. Right? I am not from Texas. That was just a purely fanciful joke that arose early in the show. I mean, there was no particular reason. It just feels right, though. Yeah, I mean. It feels. And now people across the globe, um, from listening to it for years, for the Bill Monroe for breakfast, and, well, you started on the Down Home Show. Um, yes, that was correct. That was 1980, fall of 1980. Eight after I moved here, I worked at Borders, and the husband of one of my co-workers was a host of the Down Home Show, which goes back to the early 70s, and uh, he had to leave the show for work reasons, so he, they, they recruited me to replace him. And was that the original, was that the flagship Borders that you worked in yes, in 88? Store One, yep. Store One, okay. Certainly, uh, I, I mean, I met a lot of people there. It certainly left an impact on me working there. And are many of the people who were there still in town? A lot of them are. Um, I mean, some of them went into, a lot of them worked for the corporate borders. And, and I mean, others, oh, many, some, a b- bunch of them work now for uh, the bookstore down on 4th Avenue. Literati. Oh, Literati. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, that's good to hear. Okay. Well, before we get too far away from it, because I do want us to talk about um, your 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 DJing and also the use like sound design of these programs through the years with the Bill Monroe from Breakfast Down Home Show and the Drive Time Polka Party. Um, but first, Tom T Hall, as we we just got to hear at the break, um, and that was the that was the musician that you saw at the amusement park. Yeah, right? Text I mean, boy. If I had to pick one country songwriter other than Hank Williams, it probably would have been him. He just he was just a total original. Um, I mean, I, th- his death, he just died last year. Oh, he did? Um, oh. And uh, that, that one hit me hard. I mean, other, otherwise, I'm not, you know, that big on memorials. I sort of live in the moment musically. But, yes. but that one was very sad to me. Uh, just, I, I mean, very. I, he, some of his songs were my theme songs for the show down through the years. And uh, he just, uh, I mean, he's written a lot of songs that just they sound as good as the first first day they came out. I, I don't know how I can. They're ca- lasting. Yeah, they're, they're lasting. lasting. I don't know how I can capture it without going into a great deal of detail. But uh, he's he's a wonderful songwriter. Thank you for like bringing choosing one of those so that we could hear it today. Great. Um, so. Thinking back now, um, we were we were talking about your time writing 
the Encyclopedia of World Biography. Um, do you have, because this is something that you're now the editor of, yeah. as we mentioned, and you still write entries for, could you talk a little bit about, because this is ongoing work and why you do it, like what, what you what you get from it as a writer, I guess. Well, you know, there are a lot of biographical encyclopedias in libraries, and the ones that Gail puts out have never been the most prestigious ones. You know, it's a big corporation, and it was a big corporation then, and it's a bigger corporation now, and the, the primary goal of people who work there is to get the stuff going through the pipeline so they don't get fired. But... The upside of it is that they they tend to do, it's easier to do very timely stuff there. Um, I remember I, for a while I wrote for the uh, contemporary black biography. First I did contemporary musicians, which was the the, uh, the Nile Rodgers one. Uh, then, then I did, uh, they moved over to contemporary black biography. I wrote a lot of those. And I wrote the very first reference book article that was ever written about Barack Obama. No and way. Um, I, I noticed newspaper articles cribbing from this for years. Uh, journalists know about these encyclopedias and not and not citing you as a source. Well, or... uh, yeah, I mean it. You know, it's it's an encyclopedia. They don't they uh -huh. don't have to cite me, but I was okay. just it was kind of I, I wasn't teed off. I was kind of pleased to hear my words. You know, <laughs> right. continuing to and people read these things. You know, the, the, if you go to the library and say, "Hey, I have to do a bio of Eminem," that's what the librarian will give you. And I updated a bio of Eminem actually, and he went to Osborne High School on the east side of Detroit, and the original bio that I was updating had spelled this O-S-B-O-U-R-N-E, like Ozzy Osbourne, but oh. it's actually O-S-B-O-R-N. And this was early in the days of the internet. I started doing this even before the internet. Um, and at that time, there were about 100,000 pages about Eminem, and of those, 8,000 um, 8,000 of them mentioned where he went to high school, and of those, 7,000 spelled it wrong. And so that's obviously where they got the information was from our skit. Right, right. Um, so it, it, it's kind of satisfying in that, you know, I, re, I write these things, and, and a lot of people read them. That's all any writer can really ask. Yes, and you're, and you're actually a guardian for, for the facts as well. As you even, whether you're creating them like Obama's or updating them like Eminem's. Yeah, we try to be. <laughs> We've certainly, you know, we certainly have made mistakes, but. Do you have a, like. It's the a... first draft of history. As wow. they say, the I, first... I, I didn't coin that phrase. I don't know who, who did coin that phrase. <laughs> journalism is the first, first draft of history. First I mean, it's, history, it's one yeah. step beyond journalism in that. Often we would do them by, you know, there would be an article somewhere, like for contemporary black biography, there would be an article in Essence or something like that. And and then we would try to find something from their hometown newspaper. And that then we would write a little biographical sketch. And then if the person became very famous, that would be the first one. I like hearing you talk about this as opposed to um, sometimes when you hear people talk about like um, the obituary writers where um, for anyone who's like moderately famous, some places have like the the draft sketch obits waiting in the wings, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> which seems 
um, I guess you're still a, making a tribute or cap- capturing the essence of someone in a way. Uh, but with but, luck, but, yeah. With, um, but but it feels nice to have it. I don't know. I guess it also feels old, old fashioned, doesn't it, to have an encyclopedia rather than the World Wide Web, like this idea of an encyclopedia. Well, at the time, uh, I mean, at the time they were only print. Uh, they they would go right on the sh- reference shelves in the library. They're probably still there. And they, they printed it until fairly recently. Uh, by now, they're completely online. Completely. Do you have some, uh, did you want to read a sample from one of these for us or something that, uh, I, or? I could read a little bit of one. Um, I mean, some of them have just stuck in my head over the years. And if you have been to Columbus. Ohio? Ohio. There's this, there's this artist there who's pretty well known there. I think most people interested in art down there know about her. But and when I wrote this, she was just she had just gotten a MacArthur grant. Oh wow! And uh, at, but at that time, she was very little known outside of Columbus, and her name was Amina Brendelin Robinson. And so this is how I started it out. Quote. For me, art is not a job or a career, Columbus, Ohio artist Amina Robinson told the Cleveland Plain Dealer. It's a way of life, always has been, unquote. Many artists live by a similar credo, but few have immersed themselves in art as intensely as Robinson, who is reported to rise at 4 a.m. to begin work and to continue working until midnight or beyond. Robinson works in her Columbus home and a small backyard structure she calls the dollhouse. It would be inaccurate to say that Robinson has a studio, for her home is a studio and sometimes a medium. She makes art from scraps of material that she finds or that people bring to her from doors, walls, porch components, and even floors. Her kitchen floor is a complex mosaic of materials that includes the baby teeth of her son, who committed suicide at age 27. Yet Robinson's art has not focused primarily upon her own life. Rather, she is creatively rooted in a specific place to a degree matched by few other artists. Quote, My work and life are about Columbus, Ohio, the community, ancestors, and spirits, Robinson told the Cincinnati Inquirer. Her thousands of works are made from an astonishing assortment of materials, including fabric, needlepoint, paint, ink, charcoal, plastic, metal, glass, clay, a huge miscellany of found objects, animal skins obtained from a Columbus slaughterhouse, and a concoction called hog mog that her father taught her to make from mud, pig grease, red clay, crushed brick, sticks, and glue. Many of them show scenes of Columbus life, past and present, often focusing on Robinson's east side neighborhood of Poindexter Village. Considered a community treasure by Columbus art lovers, Robinson was gradually discovered by the wider art world. She was awarded a $500,000 MacArthur Foundation Genius Grant in the year 2004. So this one was really cool to write because, again, I think this was the first time anybody had written a reference book article about her. And so you fe- really have this sense of like you're trailblazing when you're you're capturing, trying to capture a person on on paper sometimes as best you can or on screen or yeah, yeah. sometimes they're boring but some of this them one aren't. certainly was yeah. not. This was, <laughs> I mean, this was one so, of the wilder ones. I mean, this is so vivid. 
yeah. tax. I, it was uh, this one was really fun to work on. So when you write one like this, um, is this something that you think, oh, I could be so, like I could write a book about her, or I could write a longer piece, maybe pitch it to the New Yorker as a portrait or a p- profile, or or would you want to interview the person herself and build something like a a longer piece because you because it already sounds like you're engaging so much and with her life yeah that's that's an interesting question I mean yeah that's crossed my mind uh you know it's hard to make the leap from you know I've never had the money to take a year off um Wanda Jackson I did a bio of Wanda Jackson well nobody's maybe now somebody has but the last time I looked nobody ever wrote a bio of Wanda Jackson and uh, she, you know, she was Elvis's girlfriend. She she has many many stories to tell. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did think, gee, somebody should write a bio of her, and maybe it should be me. But uh, I never did it. Well, that but that could be one of the the future projects then. Uh, that's possible. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and and also, I think we should go to break and hear another one of the songs. Thanks for choosing them Absolutely. for today, Tex. Sure. Um, but I wanted to say, so I didn't forget, um, what about a Tom T. Hill book? Because he's just passed away recently. And wouldn't that go... I feel like you're going to be writing a book before you leave here today, Tex. Because <laughs> he's just... He, I'm glad I brought my computer. <laughs> You've got living writers today on the program. Tex is here, Jim Mannheim. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Jason behind the glass, and we'll be back. You want me to come down to your level? You know that's pretty low. It looks like I will soon be back, cause I don't have.
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did today here in the studio, Jim Mannheim as we all know him here at WCBN, um, is here in the studio. Um, Tex, you made, you said, um, like, we're, we're talking about your life story. And I hope that's okay. Because I even though you said, it's not like you've been writing your whole life, it feels like between music and ideas and writing, that's it's all been swirling around you. Like, I feel like Loretta could write a song about you. <laughs> well, I, I would say, and, you know, you're someone from a university English department. Well, not not really. Sweetland Center for Writing. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, but... Adjacent. Re- rela- adjacent. <laughs> related to the to the written word. Right, right. Um, and, you know, I've... I've yes, you're quite right. Uh, the fact that I was given the ability to patiently explain what I mean about a piece of music it certainly grew from my having studied classical music and, and musicology. I had an unusual undergraduate major. You can actually major in music history and theory at Amherst College, which is it's modeled on the old German university system, but most schools don't do that. I mean, they exist to service performers. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair statement. Is is it, it certainly it certainly grew out of that. Um, and th- and thanks for picking Loretta Lynn for yeah, today. That, that, and that, I mean, that is an intense song. When I reach the bottom, you'd better be there. You keep saying, "Come on down," and like a fool, I ask you where. What in her life did that grow out of? That is an intense song. It still amazes me when I hear that song. And and what part? Because she was singing and uh, and working from such a young age. Um, so I wonder, do you know what part of her career that song was from? And the the picture, she looks young to me, but people look younger all the time now. To well, me. <laughs> she had been around for a few years. That one, was, that album is from the early seventies. Uh, so it was after you know the big hits that put her on the map. Uh, you know, like the, the coal miners. Yeah, daughter. the coal. It was around the same time as coal miners' daughter. Okay. Um, so she was clearly in a pretty creative period. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful, like to have these stories, story poem songs. Oh, um, well, let's let's pivot to something that maybe is less poetic, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe um, people might want to argue that. But um, before we came on the air, we were we were kind of chatting and joking a little bit about Chat GBT. <laughs> Chat GBT, yes. <laughs> and um, and your your bio text, like, yeah, tell me about this. Well, like, when this let's, came let's do out, some AI stuff here. <laughs> I, uh, I just back when everybody was fooling with it. Yeah, I uh, I had it write a bio of me, and it had me dying in the year twenty twenty one. Oh no! Uh, so, <laughs> um, this is grim, indeed. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you're back. <laughs> on, on one hand, it's grim. On the other hand, it's yes, I'm back. My somebody said, I look forward to your resurrection. And, and I said, are. it's going well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, the upside is that, uh, you know, obviously many writers are wondering whether they're going to be out of a job soon. And I think that I probably can last long enough not to have this bring me to a crisis point in my life. But, you know, the people coming after me, who knows, but it sure ain't there yet. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. But well, by the time it feels like in some of the work that you've done in the past, you're the one that would be like, hey, yes, like completely incorrect because you'd have the facts that you'd researched and you'd change it anyway. I have noticed from time to time in just just in writing these bios and other people have told me this, too. It gets to a certain point and it's fine. And then when it draws a blank, it just starts making things up. And that sounds like a difficult programming challenge to stop it from doing that. I don't know. Maybe they'll find a way to stop it from doing that. But that's what it did with me. There was another James Mannheim who died in 2021, and it picked that up. Oh, so pulled it in. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm. it was clearly not the same one. He was a furniture dealer. Uh, But it did not have the sophistication to grasp that. And there wasn't any any furniture floating earlier in the bio to signal that this could be None ahead. whatsoever. Okay. At that okay. point, it just started throwing in nice things to say about me. Oh, well, well, it's, well, we'll end on that positive note with it. Because I guess all writers have to reckon with it in some way. And maybe I'm completely naive. It's not out of the realm of reason, I suppose. But I think the ideas that we've been talking about before, like, uh, I don't know. I think because, for example, for your connection with Tom T. Hill, from hearing about how the intersections even in your life, like from that um, that moment, because commencement day is a big day in people's lives. Like it's, it's a marker, you know. Um, and that moment, that day included an amusement park trip where you heard this person who has a gift with words yeah. and stories and that that changed who you were in some way yes and then hearing how you said he's just died recently and me being here and everyone able to hear in your voice what that means to you you are someone that could be a steward of writing something that does justice to this person because there would be these layers within it that I don't believe there's enough content been fed into the machines yet. It it, it would be hard. That that could happen because you are you. And obviously Tom T. Hill is him. Well, and how could it grasp... He did some really experimental stuff in the 1970s, which other people were doing in country music at the time. How it so? It rained in every town except Paducah, and then one day it rained in Paducah, too. And it's, it tells this story of—I mean, it's, it's a rather painful thing about this guy who's wandering around the country and, and getting these different jobs— building, installing stovepipes in Ohio, and then he goes to Atlanta. It doesn't rain too much, but there's a constant mist. And uh, it's, I mean, it's not a typical country song lyric, um, and it, it hints at this this lost romance without without going into it. I, I never, I, it never seemed to rain when you were with me, but I guess, I, or else I just didn't notice rain back then. But it just, it just mentions that obliquely. And he did a lot of songs, you know, he they weren't terribly successful commercially, but yeah, I could probably write a song about his lyrics. Or like... Like a like a book, a book. Maybe I should do that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could probably do it. Uh, you know, I'm not a Christian, but uh, 
the first he came on the charts with a song called Me and Jesus. And it talks about this guy who went out and made an altar out of a stump. The, the credos of Protestantism have rarely been so concisely and elegantly stated. Yeah. He means something to you, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Very few down-home shows went by without my playing one of his songs. Or Johnny Cash, too. How how hard was it to, like, I don't know. As a listener, I know it was hard. But how hard was it for you and for Bob on that day when you, like, it rolled around and it was your, like, official last down-home show? Uh, you know, I'm moving on to another phase of my life. Certainly, it was, you know... I guess it was it was hard to reach the decision to, you know, I I, I delayed and dilly dallied in announcing that I was going to stop, uh, and then it was you know it was it reached a point where to be fair to the other people who might be involved, I had to do it. That was where I I hesitated. The the last day, again, there were any number of ways I could have done that last show. I ended up with this song called "They All Faded Away" by. Robin and Linda Williams, you know, Robin and Linda Williams, you would like them. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I sort of reached the point where I, I said, you don't overthink this. It's it's it is what it is. Uh, and, and as I say, I'm not I'm not that I, I don't really have a, a strong orientation toward, you know, I could have tried to pick my 30 favorite country songs, but tomorrow they would have been a different 30. So it wasn't, it, I mean, it was and certainly. Know, I think people know that about you, Tex, because yeah. over the years, how, because do you see it as like um, the years of Down Home Show, like it's this this music, like different times when you were playing different artists. Like you said, there was hardly a a down-home show where you wouldn't play some Johnny Cash in it or, you know, like these, yeah. these, these, um, these threads throughout for you, like these voices become sort of how you're shaping and crafting down-home show because these experiences for listeners, like people tune in from all over the world. Well, I, yeah. And I think that treating it, I mean, you know from being around the station, some people plan out every second of their shows and some people breeze in here with no idea of what they're going to do until 30 seconds before the show starts. And either one of those can work. Uh, I always mixed it up. I mean, I would have a half a dozen things that I wanted to half a dozen or 10 things that I wanted to play or say, and then the rest would be spontaneous and a... a big part of that was a dialogue with the listeners who would call in and that was lost during the pandemic of course um but i think i did manage to kind of catch something that was in the air on a good day um you know it was very difficult to do radio after 9/11 for instance but i did do a real tragic show and somebody called in and said man you really nailed that um and, you know, some otherwise they were happier things. Um, and, yeah, I think I think leaving it somewhat unstructured was, was overall a good thing. Because then you responded to the moment, yeah. like you said. 
And yeah, and it might take me down a byway of my own mind or of those of other people. And the thing is also since, I mean, if we're thinking about it, since when you found that Loretta Lynn album, you've been having this, uh, you've been finding new music and exploring and learning. That's who you are as a person and as a musicologist. Um, Boy, absolutely. I mean, for many years, I spent a lot of time in junk shops and, you know, talk about the first draft of history. I was pulling stuff off the scrap heap of history for, for both the country and the polkas. Um, I bought a, a large lot of hundreds of, of polka records from this old Pole in Toledo named Frank in the old Polish village on LaGrange Street. And, uh, you know, man, those would have gone in the crusher if it hadn't been for me. And, and, I, and they're, they're right back there in the cage right now. Because that, then that became the drive time polka party. Exactly. And uh, I, I read this, uh, you know, I read this kind of Marxist essay called In Pursuit of Polka Happiness by Charles Kyle. That was the, gen- the intellectual genesis of that show. And unlike most of the Marxists, he could really write well. And, uh, and I said, gee, you know, this is interesting. Forty years ago, this music was on major labels like Columbia and RCA, and now it is almost completely forgotten. So it's worth figuring out what it's about. And it never, actually, it never fails to make me feel happier. Even if some of, I mean, it's not like all the lyrics are <laughs> cheerful even. Because <laughs> yeah, you, play, you play such like a, a an end of, and the folks that are also um, becoming part of this, this show. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's a range, but there is something about it where I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. It's, it's polka. Yeah. It's the polka. No, yeah. no question about it. Yeah. Polka happiness. It's is true. what it is. I feel like I've called you a lot during the polka. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and have you heard, I, I mean, I'm delighted. I, I, I feel deep satisfaction that people picked that show up after I was leaving. Yes. It's, so it's ongoing. I'm overjoyed about that. It's, so it's part of your, your legacy here. Yeah, in Tex. exactly. Yeah. And it's, which is, which is kind of a beautiful thing because you you and Bob did that for Bill Monroe for breakfast when the funky farmer yeah who started that show left <laughs> that is true I, I would say that I just heard from him and he is on he is now doing a bluegrass show on WOUB in Athens which is a big deal I mean there are a lot of bluegrass shows down there but that one was either started or done for decades by this guy named Ivan Tribe, who was one of the great scholars of old time and old time music and bluegrass. And so for him, him, I mean, him taking that over is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and I, because we gave him his start on the down home show when he was an undergrad. <laughs> so again, it, it, those things fit together. Yes, he, we picked, we picked up the bluegrass show from him. Uh, but we also we also gave, gave him, him a break start. on the radio when he was a very green DJ indeed. Would um do you do you have any um things like advice about either like does, like it sounds like you you've talked about how you walk into for example a down home show you know and in and the polka maybe too the drive time polka do you have anything you want to say <laughs> for folks that are i don't know for could, aspiring dj yeah 
Gosh, I don't know. You know, the the things that, that people, that the station normally tells new DJs is is certain are certainly accurate. You know, explore the library and, you know, you're here to learn about things that you might otherwise not know about. But a certain degree of spontaneity, and I'm not a very spontaneous person, but a certain degree of, the way to get from good radio to great radio is to have a certain degree of spontaneity and to trust yourself to do that. Do you feel like you are also like, because you are who you are, Tex, right? Are you like, like when you're behind the mic, does it feel like you're even more you? I, I don't know about even more, but it certainly, it certainly was an unpredictable thing. And that's good. I could have a show that I thought, really, I had, man, I found all these great new records at the Goodwill, and I've really got these sets down. And then I would get on the air, and it would come out kind of stilted. And sometimes it would just be sheer serendipity, and I would have these segues that were, were amazing. And, uh, it, yeah, it's, it, it is serendipity. Yeah. And because um, it also reminds me of when I first saw you um, in action for the fundraiser, the annual fundraiser. Yeah, those were something, weren't they? I mean. That, you, I would say, that. You are like my, my model, but I know I would never be as good as you. Well, that, those were, <laughs> those, those, re, those, for that, it was true. Those revealed parts of my personality that I didn't know were there. Because that was sales. I thought, you know, my a nightmare job for me would be auto salesman or something because you have to be, you know, just pure dishonesty. But that for that, but when it's something somehow, you love, yeah, when it's somehow something you I love, managed to pull that <laughs> off. I'm still not sure exactly how that worked. Well, I know, Tex, it's because you love this place and it's such a part of these years since you got here to Ann Arbor. And thank goodness that that per colleague from Borders. Yeah, yeah but pulled you in. It was, you know, but it, it was so over the top sometimes. And that, <laughs> you know, the, and the, the interactions between Bob and I and yes. me, I don't yes. think anybody could really, we're not like that in daily life. It's, it's, it's like this comedy routine. It I mean, is. I understand how the great comedy teams worked. Very oh, early. Shout out to Bob. Yeah, shout out to Bob. Very early on. There was this show called Uncle Ed's Album Hour done by this guy named Carl Palachuk. And he would, the idea would be that Uncle Ed could not come in, so Carl would be the sub. And then we would tell these tall tales about what was happening to Uncle Ed. And I subbed for that show once, and that was like stand-up comedy. And boy, I see why people get hooked on stand-up comedy. I don't, I'm sure I didn't do it very well, but that was a rush of adrenaline like I've never felt before. Tex, thanks for thanks for today. Thanks for thanks for everything that you for having me. You've you've been part of Living Writers family and always will be, and this and WCBN family and always will be. And I I hope you always feel the love that's coming coming to you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. And thanks. Thanks, uh, thanks to Jason for engineering today. Today on Living Writers, Jim Mannheim. Um, we all know him as Tex, and you probably do too. Thanks for listening today. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
Welcome to episode six of Wolverine Hockey Wednesdays. If you're here with us live, you are listening to 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. If not, thank you for tuning in wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, William Gregory, with some really special guests today from the Michigan Daily's Ice Hockey Beat, Rekha Leonard, Ellie Richard, and Anna Miller. Guys, how are we doing today? So good. We're good. really happy to be here. Thank how you for having you? us. I, I'm doing well. It's it's great to have you guys, um, especially because I had a lot of experience um, covering a number of hockey games last year for WCBN, and we had a pretty good relationship with the hockey beat at the time with Connor and John and no, <laughs> and uh, we'd always we'd always just have a lot of fun.